and welcome to another episode of Fresh Brewed Politics. I'm your host, Andrew Cooper Ryder. As always with me is producer Nick. I am uh, fighting with uh, a kidney stones. So if I seem uh, not as energetic or possibly not with it, it is either the kidney stones or the narcotics. I don't know which, but <laughs> we will power through it regardless, just like tomorrow for tomorrow's morning protest. We're going to go ahead and power through it tomorrow too as well. No matter what, we're going to get it done because it is the most important thing we have going on for sure. So we'll kind of dig into it here today. I thank you guys. Sorry, just going to adjust my camera here. Thank you guys so much for joining us once again. And as always, if you want to show some support, you can go to broodco.com. That's B-R-E-W-E-D-C-O.com. We got a snazzy new website up there. Um, some snazzy new clothing is too. We got a t-shirt even, a uh, new t-shirt design we rolled out on there. So that's broodco.com, B-R-E-W-E-D-C-O.com. Very important stuff. We're going to cover some different news today. Uh, we're going to be covering the Boone County case, of course, very important case in the Supreme Court case that's to be heard tomorrow, that we will be at protesting, protesting the idea they even decide to hear this case in Supreme Court in the first place, because it clearly wait, uh, does not have case or controversy through it, but we'll talk about that here in a second. Um, we'll talk about here the COVID Delta variant that is all doom and gloom. Uh, Hunter Biden dropping the N-word, apparently, like it's candy, and Kamala Harris uh, just won't visit the border to save her life. I, I don't get it. This is a weird one. So anyways, as we dig into it, please though, do me a favor. Go ahead and hit that share button for me. Hit that share button today. I'm wearing my uh, Dean's Diner shirt, which for those of you who are unaware, during COVID, we did lose one of our two restaurants and that was Dean's Diner. Um, so whenever people ask me about, you know, fighting back, pushing back and things like that and why it was so um, important for us, well, uh, we had already lost one restaurant, and, but I'm wearing one of those shirts uh, today. Um, but hey, guys, thanks for joining us. Once again, please hit that share button. Let's go into it. And, and to frame in the Boone County case here in Kentucky, let me catch you guys up and why this is so important. So this has a lot of ramifications for the entire nation. There's a lot of state legislators that are watching what's going on in Kentucky to make the decision of how are they going to rein in their governor? What do they think can get past courts or not? Because remember, an entire uh, case, the entire court systems work on something called precedent. And so it can help them kind of see how it's going to be laid out. But to give you an idea of what happened, basically to catch you guys up, HB1, SB1, and SB2 were all laws that were passed uh, at the beginning of this year. They were vetoed and then overcame veto. And then that was passed on to, um, those were passed, sorry, after veto. And they should have became law. And what they basically stated was that if the governor wanted to continue a state of emergency, any state of emergency after 30 days, he would have to call the legislator into session, and then they'd be able to vote on whether or not the emergency can continue and what should be the reasons for us to push, um, what should we have in place um, to go ahead and, and deal with that emergency so they could vote on it. And that that's very reasonable, reasonable enough. That's what HB1, I'm sorry, SB1 did. SB2 was about suspending laws. So right now the emergency powers, they gave the ability to the governor to suspend laws back in the 90s with his emergency powers. So SB2 kind of remedied that by saying the attorney general would also have to sign off on it. And then as well, we have HB1, uh, which was to deal with, you know, being able to close down businesses and things like that. All very important things. Well, um, 
when these laws had passed, the governor came in and did something far outside the normal. And he took the legislator and the attorney's general's office to court to injunctify the law, which was really weird because for those of you who don't understand why it's weird. So we have these three branches of government where everybody does their own thing. And you've got the legislative branch that makes the laws. You got the judicial branch that makes, you know, the rulings on the laws. And then you have the executive branch that enacts the laws. And so when a, once a law has been passed, um, there is no, there's no um, thing that the legislator does. There's nothing that the AG's office does. The law gets passed and then the governor's supposed to enforce it. So what was he injunctifying them from, for doing? That, that was kind of what's really weird about the case. And the way they went about it um, is, was incorrect. And that's why that the Boone County case was able to happen is because it was done the proper way. You know, beans, we, Brood did try to get in on the case, but we were not allowed in, um, which would have helped us out with our ABC hearing, but this could possibly still help us out with our ABC hearing. We'll see. Um, but beans was able to get in on this case and filed a case basically stating that they are following the laws. And because HB1, SB1 and SB2, the governor shouldn't be able to keep making their mandates. And they had right to be afraid and ask for a permanent injunction against the governor. Well, the Boone County case was heard, and what happened during the Boone County case that hasn't happened in the other two cases, which will become incredibly important, is that the actual um, evidence regarding COVID and the COVID mandates, where they even work, was presented. Why is that? Well, the governor's been arguing all along that the entire reason why he needs to uh, ignore the the Constitution, ignore the uh, laws that have been enacted, is because he's in a state of emergency and people will die. And no other case had actually even challenged that idea that if he wasn't enacting these emergency orders, would people die? Well, this case did that. Um, and, it, and it did that through through a couple of experts uh, as well. So the, in the Boone County case, we did live stream that for you guys. I want to catch up on that. But basically, um, what you can do is you can go back and watch that case. Um, you can also purchase the transcript from them online. But there's two experts put out, Dr. Molly Rutherford. Uh, Dr. Molly Rutherford is a medical doctor. She's a general practitioner now. She's treated over 100 COVID patients. Um, but more importantly, before she was a general practitioner here in Louisville, she worked for uh, Dr. Fauci. She has her master's degree in epidemiology, and she worked directly for Dr. Fauci uh, for several years, preparing him for his testimonies in front of Congress regarding various diseases. And so she is, by all matters, more of an expert in epidemiology, in COVID, than even Dr. Stack, uh, the the Cabinet for Health and Family Services director, um, is right even more so. And so, she came up. She said, "Listen, you know, it is quite clear, having t treated COVID patients and everything else, the way we went about this completely unscientific." She said that what I've said a few times that for the first two months, our approach was scientific because we didn't have all the information. But the minute we started seeing it was older people, comorbidities, things like that. And it became obvious who was at risk and who wasn't. We should have been quarantining off the part of the public that was at risk and leaving the other part alone. That is what she uh, testified. She testified that the damages done by the lockdowns actually far outweigh the lives that have been saved, especially when compared to other states. And that gets interesting because you'll hear lots of people whenever they're arguing with us online about, you know, what Kentucky did or didn't do, they'll always point to these other states and say, well, these other states did far worse than we did. Look at this. Well, it turns out that actually isn't true. We're going to go over that here where the judge, uh, he, he went into the statistical analysis of it and he's like, 
No, actually, that isn't true. Kentucky did the same, sometimes worse, sometimes a little bit better. And depending on how you want to look at the data, you want to look at more of our old people actually died than, than in Florida by percentage. Um, and so, you know, when you, when you dig into the data and, and you start looking at it, the judge actually found, no, that isn't actually true. Legally speaking, it is not true that other states did better. But I'm going to read you some of these excerpts from the court case findings. Here's this part here from it. And, and this, is, this is quite crazy. Um, the text and meaning of the Constitution is fixed, as its framers make clear, to guard against the transgressions of high powers, which we have delegated, we declare that everything in the Bill of Rights is expected out of the general powers of government and shall forever remain in sorry, in volatile and all laws contrary thereto or contrary to this Constitution shall be void. Words mean things and the meanings of words in our Constitution is clear. The legislator alone enacts the laws. The legislator alone enacts the laws. Essentially stating what we've been stating all along is that the legislator duly passed laws. It is nowhere in the Constitution that the governor can ignore the laws that they have passed. The, the governor has tried to argue that his emergency powers are, are vested into him by the state Constitution. That gives him the ability to ignore the laws. But it, it quite clearly states here that he's not above the law. He can't be. It doesn't work. That's what the judge is saying. The system doesn't work if the governor can just be above the law. <clears throat> there has to be a check and balance. And if there is no check to it, now we have an issue. And, and, and when you go into it here, um, and he starts looking at the data of it all, because he talks about our, our experts a little bit there. He talks about some of the specifics. But there's one time in, in here, and, and we'll see if we can pull it up real quick, where he talks about, where he talks about the um, governor, literally, there it is, there. There's another excerpt from in here where he says, what the people have endured over the past 15 months, this is the judge talking, over the past 15 months, to borrow a phrase from the United States District Judge Justin R. Walker, is something this court never expected to see. Outside the pages of a dystopian novel, yet defendants contend, this is the governor, the governor contends that the governor's rule by mere emergency decree must continue indefinitely and independent of legislative limits. In effect, defendants sink seek, sorry, declaratory judgment that the Constitution provides his broad power so long as he utters the word emergency. It does not. For this court to accept defendant's position would, would not be honoring its oath to protect the Constitution. It would be tantamount, tantamount sorry, to a coup d'etat against it. What he's saying there is that the the governor is asking, is just asking to say, well, you know, uh, if I say the word emergency, the Constitution gets thrown out the window. I can just do whatever I want. And the judge is not having that. The judge is making it very clear. No, you cannot just do whatever you want because you issue the word emergency. The legislators have the ability to end this emergency. They have the ability to control the emergency. And once again, for you to pretend that they don't is actually destroying the Constitution that you have sworn to uphold and protect. The judge also made some decisions when it came down to the data of it. He talked somewhat about the, the experts here. Um, one he talked about here was, was uh, the mask expert, which is he was an industrial hygienist. 
um, Mr. Petty here, and he and he talks specifically about mass. He says, finally, Mr. Petty pointed to another recent study by Ben Sheldon of Stanford University of Palo Alto. According to that study, both medical and non-medical face masks are ineffective to block human-to-human transmission of viral infectious diseases such as SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19. The court finds the opinions expressed by Mr. Petty firmly established in logic. The inescapable conclusion from his testimony is that ordering masks to stop COVID-19 is like putting up a chain-link fencing to keep out mosquitoes. The six-foot distancing requirement fares no better. That is a judge legally ruling that face masks don't work. That is a judge saying, I have looked at the evidence presented to me by both the state and by the, def- the, the plaintiffs in this case, and it is clear to me that masks don't work. They don't work. And I know Facebook has a ban on you if you say masks don't work. But the question we come to Facebook is, Facebook, you have a legal court hearing where it has been found after study of the evidence that masks don't work. Are you going to change on that too? Like you changed on your, your lab leak theory allowance? I don't know. I mean, and, and, and that's what it comes down to is you have, and that's why a lot of people have been watching this. And this is why it's really important is because if we have now laid it out where it's quite clear, it is quite clear that this stuff does not work, that the masks do not work, that these orders have been put in place do not work. And if that has been what has been laid out in front of you, but yet you have these individuals like Facebook and them not following along when, when they're making their, their rules about what you're allowed to talk about or not talk about, it's quite the problem. It's quite the problem. But also importantly, too, as well, and this goes into it, there is a slow catch-up to these things. You know, Remember, COVID, COVID, CDC came out a while ago and said soap and water kills COVID. But yet we're still seeing orders put in place and, and behaviors put in place to act like it doesn't. Right. We're still seeing it is it is these orders are so slow to catch up to the data and the science of it. And then it questions the ability to say, what is even the science of the issue? When you dig down deep and you start looking at the data. Now, of course, this is what goes into our. Protest tomorrow, we have protest tomorrow at uh, 9 a.m. It has to be at 9 a.m. because that's when the Supreme Court is hearing two other cases regarding COVID, which surely they'll pick this one up probably as well. And here's why. <clears throat> the um, case there where you're talking about, so we had the, the, the governor took the legislators and AG to court. So they're hearing that tomorrow over COVID. But then also they're hearing the Goodwood Brewing case, which was a case arguing essentially the same thing that the Beans case did, just they didn't use expert testimony and data and they didn't ask for class certification. Because see, what happens is we, in, in the Boone County case, we asked for class certification. What's that mean? Well, it means that, that that case was granted, but now it applies to the entire state of Kentucky, not just that one restaurant, the entire state of Kentucky forcing the Supreme Court to have to pick it up if they're going to make a ruling on it. And normally you'd say, well, can't the appeals court just vacate it? They can. They can vacate it and wait for the Supreme Court to rule on it. 
But the problem is, is that for the appeals court, um, considering that the, the testimony that's been introduced, the factual testimony, the scientific testimony, for the appeals court to just come in and vacate the ruling would be extra, extraordinarily rare and also would show that they are quite literally working very hard for any Bashir. But what we have tomorrow is the cases. The, the Supreme Court can still vacate the Boone County hearing or they can keep it in place and rule in the favor of the legislator and of Goodwood in tomorrow's Supreme Court hearing case. That's why it's important for us to show up at nine o'clock. Now, not just to show up and say, hey, we're making our voice, we're making our stand, we're telling you that this is one, not only how you should rule, you should rule in the favor of the legislator, clearly based upon what you just saw Judge Bergman say. It's not just us saying it. There are you know, judges saying these exact things, but also as well, also as well, when you, when you look at it and say, if they rule against it, because a lot of people say, what's the use of this protest? Well, first off, we're protesting also, too, we're protesting the fact they even picked up the case in the first place. This case should have been dismissed right away. The minute the governor tried to take the AG and the legislative courts to stop an enacted law from being enforced, it should have been dismissed because that's not the way our courts work once again. Once again, he would be the one taken to court by the AG or somebody like us or Beans when he continues to ignore the law. That's how it works. But of course, he didn't want to do that because the problem becomes is, is if everybody stops, just says, okay, well, that's the new law now and you've given them a reason to do that, uh, he can't enforce it in, across enough people is going to have too many lawsuits it would have effectively ended his control anyways so tomorrow for the supreme court hearing at nine from nine to noon we're gonna be having a protest out there and i hope you guys join me i hope you join me and i hope you make it out there and i hope you stand side by side with us as we demand them to respect our constitution demand them to respect our rights remember they work for us we don't work for them and even if they don't rule in our favor, at least it's sending a message that this is not acceptable to us and that a lot of their, the Supreme Court seats are up for election. And if they're going to rule against us here, then maybe, just maybe, that and with us showing up, it might be the inspiration. Somebody needs to actually run for the state Supreme Court to take one of these seats from one of these individuals. I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so. On the subject of COVID-2 as well, we have the COVID Delta variant doom and gloom, the Delta variant. And this is the same old, same old story. Maybe it'll be different this time, but same old, same old story. There's a new variant around. I guess it's the, it's the variant UK and, you know, it's more deadly than other variants and attacks more people. And if we don't all get vaccinated and give up our human rights and civil rights and everything else, we're all going to die. I, I don't know. It's... It's ridiculous at this point. I hear you on the COVID variant situation. It's not the first time we've heard it. However, at the same time, the media and the science community has a long ways to go to earning back anybody's trust. I mean, when you have the lab leak theory and you have more and more coming out about that, about how Fauci funded it, you have more and more coming out about how Fauci um, knew it leaked out of a lab probably back in 2020. You have the media that came out and didn't investigate it just because racist old Trump said it. It's like, he wasn't even racist. I'm sorry. He just wasn't racist. He wasn't racist. And that's, and that's one of the things, too. We keep letting him get away with that kind of stuff. But, um, but anyways, you know, and, and they just didn't investigate it at all, clearly, because the cursory investigation, as we're finding out, has turned up a lot of things, a lot of things about. So that hurts us with the media where, the, where you know, you cannot trust the media at all. They prove themselves to not and now outside of we always knew all along they couldn't be trusted but you know to the general person that watches the media they know like 
you are not doing your job. I mean, look, look what's going around in Kentucky. I think maybe one, maybe two outlets have actually reported on the Boone County case. You just had a judge rule here in Kentucky that the COVID mandates based on the science were ineffective, didn't do anything, um, was an extreme encroachment on our freedoms, uh, was not respecting our constitution. The governor uh, was completely wrong to be suing anything. And every single one of his mandates that's ever been enforced are hereby void. Masks don't work. And it's crickets. It's crickets. But what do you expect, right? I mean, that, those are the kinds of problems, too. You can tell the media. It's not just the stories they report on. It's stories they don't report on. And same with social media. They've, they all have a long ways to go to earn back trust, and they're not even trying. And they think, well, we don't care. You guys are going to still keep coming back. It's like, we do and we don't. Like, we know you're full of crap. Like, who on here actually thinks when a Facebook fact check comes up? See, it, it loses its whole entire ability. When, when you go to... Um, when you go to... Sorry, when you go to Facebook and you see a flag for something and you see somebody's been flagged as false news or something like that, or they see independently checked by fact checkers, do you trust that anymore? Do you trust that at all? I don't. I don't at all. I mean, the other day we found out that one of the main funders of the Wuhan lab was one of the people that Facebook used to fact check the Wuhan lab leaking story. So, no, they, they know we can't trust it, and that's what I mean, but they keep operating like, yep, we're going to make a difference. And, and the thing is, is the longer they do this, the less control they actually have because nobody believes them anymore. And I actually think it's working forward, uh, working for us as, as we push forward. In other news, and sorry, guys, once again, please hit the share button and everything else. Sorry if I seem not as energy as I said, fighting a kidney stone over here, but that's okay. We're going to get through it. We're going to get through it together. We're all in this together, guys. Hunter Biden dropping the N-word like it's spicy spice, salt and pepper. Apparently, Hunter Biden uh, was was messaging with his lawyer, as, as it seems, or not his lawyer, his accountant. Um, and he was messaging him about, you know, shenanigans. Um, the, it is important to note that this lawyer is, or, or person, they are, they are in fact white. Uh, based upon what, what the initial broadcast, it looks like they are, uh, in fact, white. So Hunter Biden is messaging um, his white friends the N-word. <laughs> he, okay, this is, this is his CPA, right? Yeah. It's his, know, it's his attorney. It's his attorney. Okay. His attorney sends him the middle finger. He responds, oh, and you two, how much money do I owe you? Because inward, you better not be charging me Hennessy rates. That is so racist. <laughs> <laughs> that made me snarf my coffee. And then he said, I just made that phrase up by the way. Now, I wish I could say I'm shocked. But can you really be that shocked when you're dealing with Hunter Biden, Burisma, crackhead, losing his computer, messaging racist epithets to his attorney. But let's, let's keep in mind too, right? Where is the cancel mob on this one? Because let's remember, right now, the host of The Bachelor at Bachelorette, 
I believe. Bachelor, Bachelorette? Uh, same, uh, the same host. Okay. The host of Bachelor slash Bachelorette is now permanently removed because he defended one of the contestants who went to a, a antebellum party when she was in college. When she went to college in the South, antebellum parties happened in the South, but I guess antebellum parties are racist. So he's getting removed off his show for defending somebody. He wasn't even the one who did it. He's defending someone's like, guys, come on, that's not cool. And now he's getting removed off the show because a contestant went to an antebellum party. Here we have uh, the sitting president's son texting racial epithets to his white lawyer. And the cancel mobs where to be seen. I haven't heard nearly a peep from them. Have you heard anything from them? Nothing. Nick has not heard anything from them either. Apparently, you get a pass. Apparently... As long as you're Joe Biden's kid, you get a pass for everything. After all, I mean, Joe Biden's technically one of the worst racists of them all that I've ever heard. Like, like I'm dead serious. Let's, and let's not forget who said he was racist. His own vice president, Kamala Harris, said he was racist when he wanted to take her education from her or something about forced busing. I mean, look, he passed the 1994 crime bill. He um, has said some really odd things about corn pop. Um, he, he said, what else? He also said, if you, you're not black, if you don't vote for me, if you don't vote for me, you're not black. I mean, these are, these are the way these people think of you. The Bidens clearly are racist and they clearly think of black people as one giant group of individual, one giant group, not as individuals. And they don't respect you guys as individuals, but you know, whatever. Don't cancel them. Cancel Chris. Hanson, Harris, whatever. The Bachelor host, Chris Harris. Yep. Cancel Chris Harris because he said, hey, she went to an antebellum party when she was in college. That's okay, but when your sitting president is a down and dirty racist, you just don't care. But of course, you know, if Trump's son had said anything about this, there'd be calls for Trump to step down. You know I'm not lying when I say that. You know I'm not lying. That is 100% accurate. And listen, I'm not saying Trump was a perfect person. He wasn't. He clearly, Trump is a man who said a lot of things. He said a lot of things. His policies, though, I, you know, he had some pretty good policies. I did like his policies quite a bit. But my point is, is this is a clear double standard because this is barely even a story. You're listening. You might be hearing this for the first time ever. Think about this. If Donald Trump Jr., while Donald Trump was in office, said the N-word, even like ever wanted, came out, it would be the news for like the next 48 hours. But this might be the first time you're even hearing that Hunter Biden said the N-word and it's from some podcast host in Lexington, Kentucky. Which, what's that tell you? I mean, geez. If the left and media didn't have a double standard, they'd have no standards. Another news, Kamala Harris hasn't been to the border. Actually, you know what? Let's pin that one. Do we have the uh, army? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, let's do that. I, I, I want to show you guys here. I'm going to show you guys this army recruitment video. Um that I have opinions over slight, slight opinions. Um, because it's confusing to me on why, um, this video, this recruitment video is incredibly, incredibly, uh, important to show. See, I remember when the army recruitment videos used to be these really cool, like, you know, awesome videos, but now apparently this is what we have. Cartoon, by the way, mostly cartoon. Just so you know. 
This is the story of a soldier who operates your nation's Patriot Missile Defense Systems. It begins in California, with a little girl raised by two moms. Although I had a fairly typical childhood, took ballet, played violin, I also marched for equality. I like to think I've been defending freedom from an early age. When I was six years old, one of my moms had an accident that left her paralyzed. Doctors said she might never walk again, but she tapped into my family's pride to get this back on her feet, eventually standing at the altar to marry my other mom. With such powerful role models, I finished high school at the top of my class and then attended UC Davis, where I joined a sorority full of other strong women. But as graduation approached, I began feeling like I'd been handed so much in life, a sorority girl stereotype. Sure, I'd spent my life around inspiring women, but what had I really achieved on my own? One of my sorority sisters was studying abroad in Italy Another was climbing Mount Everest. I needed my own adventures, my own challenge. And after meeting with an army recruiter, I found it. A way to prove my inner strength and maybe shatter some stereotypes along the way. I'm US Army Corporal Emma Malone Lord, and I answered my calling. You know what really is salt in the wound, too, watching that ad, as I just realized? The Supreme Court just ruled that the men-only draft is still legal. <laughs> so, you know, they just ruled that the men-only draft is still legal, which is fine, I guess. I mean, but it should be men and women, right? That was the argument, or there should be no draft. Um, like, I don't see how you have a men-only draft, but you're running these ads, and it leaves you to ask a lot of questions, okay? Like, who is that ad geared towards, right? So when you are running a recruitment ad, and, and listen, I don't care about the, the race, the gender, the sexuality, whatever, of anybody that volunteers to fight in our military. Let me make that very clear. I don't care, okay? You're volunteering, you're sacrificing, that's fantastic. That is, that is an amazing thing. I do care about our military being an effective fighting force. And I do, I do think this woke military thought processes. I mean, after all, Raytheon was voted the most inclusive place to work in the nation, which is a military contractor. But, you know, I don't, I don't particularly care about those things. What I do care about, though, is who are you going after? Like, like that is a waste of taxpayers' dollars. Like who, who are you trying? Okay. So you're going after the girls who were raised by two moms to join the military of which, I mean, let's break this down. Okay. Um, what is it? 1% of our population makes up is, is homosexual, right? 1%, 2%. It might be higher now, but I think it, last I heard it was like 2%. So you already, now you've cut that down to 2%. Of, of, of people, homosexual, they got to get married, everything else. So there might be like 0.5%. 4.5%. 4.5%. 4.5%. 4.5%. 4.5%. 4.5%. 4.5%. 4.5%. 4.5%. 4.5%. 4.5%. 4.5%. 4
4.5% is homosexual? Gosh, that has grown. That's uh, LGBTQ. LGBTQ. That has grown. Oh, I think a little bit. But anyways, 4.5%. Okay. But remember, this is a woman. So this is a, a woman that they're going after here. So we got to cut that in half. So that's 2.5%. But also that group had to get has to decide to get married. So we're talking about maybe 0.5% of 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 1% of married couples are are gay, right? And only half of that 1% would be women, maybe. So we're talking about 0.5% of married couples. And then they also have to decide to get a kid, adopt a kid or, or have a kid, which, I mean, I don't know the percentage of them that choose that either. I haven't really looked into it. But my point is, is it's exceedingly small amount of people you're marketing towards with our tax dollars. <clears throat> Wouldn't your money be better spent like trying to recruit in? Like, is that what the military's missing? Girls who've been raised by two moms? Like, is that the key to winning the war in Afghanistan? Or, or is that the key to how we're going to get a leg up on China and Russia? Is we need more women who've been raised by other women? Like, no, we don't care where you're coming from. We just need more people. And it just seems like a giant waste to be doing this woke recruiting after individuals that, that it just doesn't make sense. And not only that, but is you're bringing this wokeism into the military. And there's been a lot of high up generals have expressed this recently. They're like, you're bringing this wokeism into the military and that's not how we operate. I mean, the military is all about one thing, taking care of the guy next year, right? That's the main reason why um, a lot of times when they get into it, what they're fighting, um, they're, they're taking care of the guy next to him, right? They don't care about that person's skin color, their, their sexuality and things like that. They care about just taking care of each other and getting back home alive. That's it. And to gloss over it in any kind of way is ridiculous. But also that's the reason why wokeism in the military doesn't work. It doesn't work because it seeks to separate people based upon immutable characteristics like who you were born to, in this case, two women, who, who raised you growing up, what your gender was, what your skin color was. All those are char characteristics which you have no control over from the moment you're born in the military. It's all about saying we're coming together as one group because we're all wearing green or we're all wearing blue now. And that is who we are and that is what we're doing. And we're fighting in this, this military together. And none of those other characteristics matter because we're all one. But of course, when you go with the wokeism, it's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy. And, and it gets really odd when you look at it and you're like, why? What is this? Where are we going? Like, this is so weird. I don't know. I just think it's really strange that we're not focusing on the key things, which is fighting wars and, and, and not trying to divide our military up into demographic groups instead of just dividing them up and, 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 and starting instead of just bringing them together as one fighting force. Seems weird. Um, seems weird. But finally, guys, let's talk about Kamala Harris on the border. Um, she did a really weird interview here. Let's go ahead and play that real quick. Do you have that queued up? Okay. Okay, I'm going to talk about it for a second. So, you know, Kamala Harris is doing this interview where they ask about her going to the border. And what's this isn't the first time she's been asked about, Kamala Harris, go to the border. And what's really strange is like, yeah, just go to the border, Kamala Harris. Like, why is this so difficult? Like, go to the border. You're supposed to be in charge of the border. So if you guys remember a few months ago that Biden said, Kamala Harris, you're now in charge of the border. You're the border czar. You're the border czar. And... 
And that process of being like, you're the border czar, you would expect her to have gone to the border by now. But she hasn't gone to the border. So here's an interview she did uh, there the other day. Let me just quickly put a button. Okay. Do you have any plans to visit the border? I'm here in Guatemala today I, at some point. You know, I, we are going to the border. We've been to the border. So you, this whole this whole this whole thing about the border, we've been to the border. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. I, and I haven't been to Europe. And I, I mean, I don't I don't understand the point that you're making. Oh, yes. The mass illegal immigration problem that Europe is bringing into our country. Oh, yes, the mass illegal immigration problem that Kamala Harris has been asked to take care of from Europe. But she's like, I haven't been to Europe. So, you know, which I highly doubt that she's probably been to Europe. But, but you know, I haven't been to Europe. So what's that going to do with the border? Go to the border. Like, it's not hard. Like, go to the border. But she doesn't go to the border. Instead, she goes around. She visits with all the dignitaries of these other countries. And while visiting these dignitaries of these other countries, she said, the United States will continue to enforce our laws and secure our borders. If you come to our border, you will be turned back. Do not come. Do not come. First off, I'll see it when I believe it. But second off, and more importantly, you know, isn't that what that evil racist Trump said? Wasn't he told he was super racist and evil and, and a white supremacist for saying that? I feel like I heard that I feel like I heard him, if they, if they ever, if he ever said anything like the United States will continue to enforce our laws and secure our borders, I'm going to turn you back. Don't come. You're getting turned back. They would say, you are an anti-humanitarian. This is a humanitarian health crisis. You're an anti-humanitarian and you're a racist and you're a terrible individual. But of course, Kamala Harris says it. It's okay. Hunter Biden says the N-word repeatedly and talks about that Hennessy money. It's okay. Ah, just a couple guys. Biden says, if you don't, if you don't, uh, if you're, you're not black, if you don't vote for me, ah, it's okay. But you know, Trump was the most racist of all. It's very simple. Harris, go to the border. Very simple. Harris, secure our border. You know, my personal opinion on immigration and I don't know how this falls with you guys. I know it's not super duper popular. Maybe, but, but this is how I feel about it, and I've said this a few times. I want to secure our border. I think it's very important we know who's coming in and out of our country. Because right now what's going on is, is you have uh, these unaccompanied minors and, and things like that crossing the border in one place and allowing um, individuals uh, at other places to cross the border um, that, that we don't want in here, like terrorists and drug smugglers and things like that. But be very honest, guys. I want our border secured. But at the same time, I want it to be fairly easy to immigrate into our country. I want it to be fairly easy to come into our country, work, pay taxes, and, and play by the same rules as the rest of us do. And I want that to, to be pretty simple because the, the labor market, the free market of labor, will determine what our immigration rates should be. However, I don't think you should become a citizen right away. I think you should have to be here somewhere around 10 years. A lot of other countries do it that way. 10 years before you can become a citizen, before you can fully vote. Um, I, I believe, too, as well, that uh, as some places do, I know Mexico does this, if you at all in your first 10 years 
um, need to go on welfare or anything like that, something where the taxpayer is going to have to take care of you, um, you get deported. And, and I think that's fine because what are we concerned about, right? We're concerned about uh, a Hispanic. The, the, what, are, what are the talking points? What are the things that conservatives oftentimes, if they don't like, don't like, sorry, um, immigration, what's their issues? Well, a lot of times it's about taking jobs, right? Well, if they have to play by the same rules you do and they get paid the same amount of money because they have the same labor laws as you do, if they're taking their job from you, it's because you're lazy, I'm just, just being honest, right? I mean, if they're all being paid exactly the same, they're being paid the same as you and you as them. Are you saying you can't compete with them? No, of course that's not what you're saying. What you're saying is, is they can come in and, and pay a Hispanic individual much, much lower than me because they're, they aren't having to play by the same rules because they're not paying their taxes because they're not doing these things and, and the, the employer can get away with it and the employee in this case, the, the Hispanic individual can get away with it. And, you know, it, it saves the company money. So that's what I'm worried about. I hear you on that. But if they're playing by the same rules, I don't see much of a complaint there. And clearly, if the job's available, it's because nobody's there to work it. And it's, it is important to our economic growth to make sure we do have a labor force to work jobs. I mean, right now, there's not a lot of people working. Now, of course, uh, I'm sorry, there's a lot of jobs open. A lot of people aren't working. Now, of course, you know, we all know about the uh, the payments are still being issued. And I'd say for sure that's something to look at. Like if our unemployment is super, super duper low, may we look at, you know, hey, we, we don't have any jobs, so we can't take any Im immigration right now. We just don't have any jobs. But if we have jobs open, I don't see there's such a problem with it as long as we know who's coming in and they're playing by the same rules. Just my personal opinion. Like I said, it may not be super popular with you guys. But I tell you this much, we do need to secure a border and allowing in illegal immigration is a humanitarian crisis in the sense that we're encouraging it. We're encouraging these people to be taken advantage of by terrible, terrible individuals. One last reminder, guys, protest will be tomorrow, 9 a.m. Please join us as well. Like I said, you can go to our website, broodco.com, B-R-E-W-E-D-C-O.com. Snazzy new website there. You can check that out. We've got some articles published and things like that. We're starting to work on getting out some, some articles. You can see our feed from our Telegram as well. Um, but otherwise, guys, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate your time. appreciate your support. Have a great day.